Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 115 with the wonderful Maggie Dent, author of the new book, as well as all her other amazing books, Mothering Our Boys, a guide for mums of sons. Now, please broaden your definition for who this book might be for or who this show today might be for, even though we do say, I do say boys, because that is the topic and we are looking at the unique uh, characteristics uh, of uh, boys and and how to raise good men uh, and uh, and resilient, happy, confident guys, which is anything any parent, teacher, coach, tutor would want. So, whether, but just because the book says mothering our boys, please broaden your definition to anyone who who raises boys in any way, shape or form or plays a role in the raising of boys. You could be the dad, the uncle, the sister, the auntie, the brother, the grandparent, the teach, coach, a student, like anyone, anyone. So uh, I hope you enjoy my chat with Maggie today. She is an incredible resource uh, for all parents and teachers everywhere when it comes to raising resilient kids. And she has a specific passion for boys for the simple fact that she was a teacher in a boys' school for many years. She taught English uh, and had a profound impact on many, many students who have come forward later in years and years past to share the impacts that she had with them, as well as mothering four of her own boys who are all successfully grown up and doing just fine. So um, she's had some incredible uh, experience as a counsellor, as a funeral director, all sorts of incredible things that have made her very sensitive to human nature, very sensitive to people who who need a leg up, who need support, uh, and finding ways to help people find resilience, courage, strength is really her wheelhouse. And uh, the fact that we have her as a gift to help us do that with our boys is just wonderful. I'd love to hear from parents of girls, whether there's anyone you'd like me to bring on to the show specifically who specializes in, in that, of course, it would be amazing. Let's do that next year. Um, Now, before we hook on into the chat that I have with Maggie coming up for you, I want to announce the two winners of the Waters Co. Water Filtration Giveaway. Um, Now, don't panic if you're not one of the winners. This is exactly why I am releasing the winners' names in week three, because you now still have this week and next week to decide which water filter you want to get. And there are quite a few reduced uh, prices on their website at the moment, as well as the 10% off and free shipping that you get for them sponsoring the show this month. So the winner of the Ace, uh, sorry, the bio, I've got to get this right, Bio 500 Benchtop Water Filter valued at $599 is Leah Hill. Huge congratulations to you, Leah, and all the best with everything you're going through at the moment. Uh, with clean water, that will be a huge step in the right direction for you and your family, and I'm super thrilled that you have won the water filter. And the jug is going to Sophie M or Sophie Curtis. She, uh, Your name is different in two ways in the comment thread uh, on the website. So I hope I uh, one of those is, is right. Sophie Curtis and you've got a live.com uh, email address. That's how we're going to know it's definitely the right person winning. Uh, and you didn't even want the jug for yourself. All you could think about was your sister who is 
a newly appointed flight attendant uh, for Qantas in international flights. And she's just going to be able to get clean water anywhere in the world with that jug. It's so fantastic to travel with and I hope she loves it uh, on your behalf. What a nice little Christmas that's going to be for you guys. So uh, those are the two winners. And as I said, you still have all of this week, all of next week to make the most of the offer that Waters Co. have put forward for us, which is 10% off and free shipping. And I just wanted to make mention of uh, the water filter that I have chosen to take around with me in the last two months of very intensive uh, travel. I think I've been on about 12 aircraft and driven about 15, no more, sorry, 25 hours in the last couple of months. And uh, that has been through France, it's been through England, it's been through America, so we did uh, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and then also, of course, the book tour continues, and that has been all over the place, uh, regionally, in different cities, been to five different states in Australia in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so yeah, this little guy has been a trooper. So it's the BMP Waterman. It's the Mini, and uh, it is a 600 mil capacity, but it fills mega fast. And I have a big stainless one liter that I just fill the little mini waterman up a couple of times and fill my stainless uh, one liter that I then take with me. But it is because it's so fast, you don't need to have a big water filter to travel with. And it still does all of the things that the Waters Co filters do. And it still remineralizes, still has absolutely no aluminium in any part of the filter. And uh, the water tastes absolutely delicious. And the little mini that has the three pack of filters so that you've got filters to move on to is only $139.95 at the moment instead of $165. So that would be my pick if you are on a budget, if you can't even think about getting one of the big benchtop water filters that they have right now, that's fine please at least get this little guy to accompany you whenever and whenever, wherever you might be going uh, anywhere because it is fast, it is inexpensive, and it's a fantastic quality product um, that you can then decant into your stainless or glass options to travel um, you know, out of the hotel and take with you for the day. My little man and I did that everywhere we went for the month we were away. And then I've continued to do that for the book tour. And I've um, passed the water filter jug onto my husband for his workshop. And then the boys still use that one for camping and things. So um, that's my hot pick. Uh, and then of course, we've got the amazing benchtop water filter, which is, I'm um, just trying to think of the model. Yes. Okay. So the bio 1010 liter, that's the one we have. It's a lovely um, white kind of casing. And uh, it, it, the, I mean, the water is just fantastic. The, the body of it is glass. It remineralizes. I've told you all the wonderful things about it twice now. I'm not going to say it again, but that's the one we have. Or if you want to go for something a little bit smaller, you're just a couple or you're a single person, the Bio 500 that was um, our giveaway today would be perfect for you. Um, so yeah, so many options, uh, whether you want something portable, whether you want something uh, more uh, permanent. And then of course, the shower filter that they have is stunning 
stunning. And so many people are like, oh my gosh, my skin doesn't itch anymore after a shower. Well, there's a lot of chlorine in our water and, and more um, in some places than others. And, uh, and to have a really good shower filter is just going to be much kinder to your skin when you're taking a shower, uh, when you're popping the kids under the shower. So enjoy that offer. Uh, I wanted to say a super quick thank you. I noticed that our iTunes reviews have just clocked over the 400 five-star review mark. That is crazy. Thank you guys. And thank you so much for sharing the show in your Instagram stories. If you're not connected to me on Instagram yet at Lotox Life, I'd love for you to join me there. I just love hearing people's little ahas. Often you guys share a little Instagram story or on your own feed about how a show has profoundly impacted you or a special kind of light that went on because of something someone said or just a deeper understanding as with the wonderful uh, conversation I had with Dr. Jonathan Latham a couple of weeks ago um, around genetically modified crops and the concerns that he has based on the research that he's been doing in the last few years, uh, looking very, very closely at the BT toxin um, and how it differs from the natural BT toxin found in nature and uh, why we should be um, worried, yeah, alarmed and avoid genetically modified foods. But what I love about a show like that is it stops us all from going, oh, yeah, it's toxic, don't use it, don't know, and fear-mongering without any substance. And when you hear a show like that and you really get your head around the science, you can have an informed discussion, say, well, actually – my concerns come from scientist Jonathan Latham and the research he's done around the BT toxin and what he's found is X, Y, Z. You see what I mean? And then that way someone can go, oh, wow, I hadn't heard of that before. Or, you know, can you pass me that paper? I'd like to read it. You know, then you can actually have an informed, uh, believable discussion instead of what our world seems to be so good at right now is just spitting out headlines of fear and everybody taking those to be truth without getting a deeper understanding of things. And that's something I'm very passionate about going against the tide on and making us informed and concerned and able to actually voice our concerns in a productive way. It was something that has come up over and over again in many of the book tour chats when, once we head to Q&A and, uh, and, and seeing how we can escalate things in positive, peaceful ways and make sure that the people that we're voting for understand what we see to be the biggest issues uh, facing us and our communities and the biggest thing, safety concerns that we have. Don't you think that's the right way to play things? I think it is. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, now, I'm going to hook straight into this chat with Maggie now, but you have all of the details in the show notes about how to get your discount, what the code is for the water filters. So please do go to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and then click on any of the shows from this month to tell you all about Waters Co. Enjoy my chat with Maggie. Hello, Maggie. How are you? I'm great, Alex, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to chat about my big passionate uh, subject at the moment. Uh, well, we are all very, very grateful that you are passionate about this because you have a real gift in the in the boys' arena generally, but the mothering boys um, in the way that I heard you speak about at the recent seminar mm. that I went to with you and the wonderful Steve Biddup and... Um, and Clark, oh my gosh, one of my new favourite humans. How good was he? <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and your segment in the day was really focused on the mothering of boys because each role model can bring something quite different to the picture. 
And I loved that you talked about the fact that sometimes, you know, not every family is the archetypal mother, father, kids. There's mother, mother, there's father, father, there's single parents, everyone in the mix. But the act of mothering doesn't necessarily mean the person who gave birth to the child. It's that important role modelling of strong women in our boys' lives. And, uh, and that's why I thought we, we just absolutely have to have this on the show. Bring your goodness to everybody who couldn't make it on that day. I guess, um, uh, you know, I obviously introduced you in the intro just before, but um, I would love for you to share why, why now, why Mothering Boys, why you see that this was a book that needed to be born. Yeah, look, I, I guess <clears throat> I, um, I was born on a farm in Western Australia and um, my mum was the non-maternal kind of mother, which meant, um, you know, where do you yearn for that you know, um, and I was blessed with a dad who could give me what I was in. And that's why mothering, I know my father did a lot more mothering in a way um, with brothers. And then when I became the high school teacher, the same thing, I kept starting to notice that some of my most angry boys and disruptive boys were boys who um, uh, had been shamed um, or beaten uh, often by both dads and mums. But it was more the scar from the mums. There seemed to be no warm female in these lads lives and then that's when I sort of stepped out of the classroom to um, counsel troubled kids you know full time and that was the story I kept hearing but not just from the boys from the men and that's why you know I decided to ask um, did a men's survey just questioning you know tell me you know what what did your mum do that you wish she hadn't and what do you what did she do that you're glad she did and what's your relationship like with that so I wanted to hear from grown men what their experiences were and that really has shaped um, my message because we're in a time where it's really confusing not only you know the me too movement but we've also got a, a distorted perception um, around men and there's a lot of um, man bashing out there at the moment. Oh because, I could not agree more. And I, I just you know 99% of our men are good decent men and our boys are actually seeing that because um, not only does the media present and some media not all um, news as all the catastrophic possibilities out there, but they often, um, we now get the global catastrophic worst behaving men in the world in our boys' lives right there, and they're very visual. Mm. And I don't think they're seeing enough of the good men. And that was kind of a mission. What can we do as mothers to help raise our boys to be, um, I call them good enough, decent men. I don't want perfect men. Um, perfect doesn't like, exist anyway. We're, we're all across that. And also that's what we all want, don't we? Because mm. those of us, you know, I now have granddaughters. I only had four sons. Um, I want them, you know, if that's their predisposition, I want them to find that sort of a man as well that allows them to be um, soft and tender and loving and also strong and feisty. And so it was kind of acknowledging there's a shift and we need to pull away some of the unhelpful sexual um, um, stereotypes that are out there around gender. Mm. And in, interestingly, in the book, it, it, you know, every now and then we go, hang on a minute, we need to also look at our girls aren't necessarily going to be princesses who need a, a man to make sure that they become the best expression of themselves. So it's kind of a bit more than just me talking about raising our boys via our mothers. Mm, interesting. And um, it kind of makes me think one of the hashtags or, or messages I see around there that I feel as a mother of a boy um, uh, worried about is this future is female hashtag. Mm -hmm. 
and it just makes yes i want equality i am a staunch feminist as much as the next gal i believe that women doing the same job should be paid the same and and all the good things and we should feel safe walking down a street and not feel like we have to adjust our behavior to to have a lesser chance of being attacked all those things i i desperately want equality and respect for all women everywhere and I want validity for all boys and men everywhere to not feel like this whole movement of one rising up means another coming down. I feel that's really, really damaging. Can you yeah. sort of it's talk? It's been a long time too, Alex. So mm. when I had my third son, I had people just, you know, being expressing their deep angst and sorrow for me for getting another boy. And when I had my fourth son, it was almost like I got bereavement cards. So it was like I was getting the lesser gender even then, you know, and it was and, and quite often we hear people make comments around, oh, that's just boys being boys mm. um, without recognising that in actual fact, they are incredibly confused little beings most of the time because I mean, told they're supposed to be strong and, and brave and not show emotion. And and yet. All the research that we can now explore is there are way more vulnerable pre-birth, at birth, in the first 12 months of life, way more vulnerable at learning how to understand their own self and their reactions to um, what happens to them. Emotionally need, you know, they're very confused emotionally because if you're supposed to shut down vulnerable emotions, I need to express them in some way. So we kind of celebrate, you know, the wrong things on either gender. And I think one of the examples I use <clears throat> is if a little girl falls over, often people lean forward with great tenderness and say, can I help you up? Are you all right, sweetheart? But if a boy falls over, he's like, come on, get up. Now, there's a problem with both of those. You know, there's a message that girls are actually way more fragile. We're quite capable of getting ourselves up. And also boys, sometimes they do need a grown-up's help and they shouldn't need to feel ashamed that they need that help. So, it is a really, I think the shift is both sides and that's why I'm quite excited with, you know, most of the reason I had to write the book was the number of mums who had responded to me after reading my blogs or articles or coming to the seminar where um, they had said I had had a difficult relationship with my son, I didn't understand him at all and now you've helped me decode how he sees the world and my goodness, I can't believe how much more loving our home is, how much closer my son and I are. And I felt for that value alone, that made me go and say, yeah. right, I need to help those mums who either didn't have brothers or who had a difficult relationship with their fathers um, so that they can build that understanding at the same time as helping our little boys get to understand us as females so that one day if they end up in the heterosexual relationship, they're able to kind of have an understanding how we're a little bit different um, at different times. Mm, absolutely. And um, something you say right at the start of the book, and I heard you say this at the seminar recently as well, was that you were bilingual and you can speak. <laughs> you can speak man speak and woman speak. Do, do you think part of that was being raised on the farm? Yeah, I think it was also just the hours and hours I spent with my dad mm. in the ute and around the farm. So I kind of decoded the fact that I can be in a, a safe, comfortable space with another human being without talking. Uh, also, that, <laughs> that's fabulous. Whereas women feel that, quite unsafe sometimes yeah, when the yeah, silence and there goes. are times that um, yeah. you know, if I'm out with my own girlfriends or things, I can do that kind of man glaze over um, <laughs> look, which is there's too many conversations going on for me because 
I had all that experience with my dad, whereas, you know, those of you who've just been immersed, we can, we pick up hints and we follow three conversations and we're over the top and we're actually not necessarily saying what we really want. We're just testing the waters and all that stuff is very different to, you know, um, you know, there are men who are completely comfortable um, without long conversations. And I think that ability to communicate uh, effectively between our genders is, is a huge part of us understanding how relationships work. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's very, very, it's very fun. And I think one of the things that um, I don't know that I've prepared my own sons for living with <laughs> real women, um, <laughs> you know, they scratch their heads some days and I've had to come back and decode for them what's going on because I'm sorry your mum's a part bloke. Um, <laughs> but it does give me the insights. Like I have this really big capacity Um in my counselling and working with men, um, how they're seeing it and how their female partner's seeing it or their mum's seeing it or their teacher's seeing it and how we can come to a place where we can see it evenly. And I think that's just a beautiful gift of all those hours I spent um, hanging out with my dad. Mm, amazing. Um, something that you don't sugarcoat and you kind of talk about it really early in the book is some of the alarming stats around violence, self-harm, addiction, suicide in our young men. Um, what have you found in the research to be the biggest contributing factors in those stats? Okay, well, very, very first up, we know that healthy attachment for any baby and toddler right through to five or six is fundamental in setting you up to live a healthy life. And that's not just psychologically and mentally healthy. It is also physically. We're now being able to link lower, poor attachment to things like heart disease and diabetes and, and depression. So we know that that's a really important thing. And the new research shows us that in actual fact, little boys, um, um, this, the brain changes mean they're developing a little slower than our girls. In actual fact, they're more vulnerable to distress and stress early on. And so often that little boy who's once again launching off your lap when he's, you know, 18 months old and to exploring the world with that gusto that a large number of our boys do, making really poor choices, um, <laughs> can actually be growled at and sanctioned for being naughty and bad when in actual fact this is biologically a, a healthy window of serious activity. Um, I think the shaming is the number one thing, Alex. Um the boys that I worked with who had attempted suicide, who were seriously contemplating taking their life and dying, had um, no question been shamed really badly. Um, shamed for a lot of the behaviours that we know are quite normal for boys. Um, and also the um, anger. A lot of boys, the only way they can express any of their emotions is through anger and frustration and aggression. And we keep punishing boys who are trying to tell us they're actually struggling with anxiety or they're they're grieving for the grandma who died, you know, two months ago, or they're, they're feeling nobody likes them, but they haven't got a language for that. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's a really, as you know, a big part of my book is helping our boys to understand there is something often under the anger that we need to help you work out what it is, because mm -hmm. that's an unmet need. Um, and because we're great at figuring out the unmet needs of girls if we're a female, uh, well, because so that, they're actually more able to yeah. talk about the unmet needs. Exactly. Yeah, and we yeah. do know that. That's one of the biggest things we know, that when emotion flares up in the brain, we can now show that with girls, uh, most and most girls and most women, remember not all of anything, everything's variable, yeah, is that it goes from us straight up into our limbic system and then into our words <laughs> centre. Is that why we go so quick when we vent out? <laughs> and then for boys, it goes up into the brain and comes back down into the body. 
And so therefore, that, that there's is that coming around here in the body. The body often is a behaviour that they make to try and express what a girl can immediately express kind of verbally. So getting to understand that and recognising that um, sometimes those, you know, behaviours of our boys um, is a language in itself mm. that they're asking for our help rather than seeing that's something I need to make sure I discipline out of them and, and um, you know, stop immediately because you're not necessarily getting to what is under it. Yeah. So can we unpack shaming um, mm. a little bit? And can you talk me through maybe a few, like even a couple of examples, because sometimes it can be really subtle, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, is it about shaming in public? Is that the main form of shame that, that goes deep? Or is it even just... Oh, you stupid boy! Why did you do that again? Like, what are yeah. we talking about in this shaming picture? Yeah. So, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Essentially, we there was a lot of shaming um, in the previous century around our children. Remember, we were, you know, a lot of us were hit a lot and all those sorts of things. Shaming was kind of, um, again, it, it it it's often coming from not just the words we use, like saying, "Oh, that's so stupid," or for boys, it don't be a sissy. Mm-hmm. You're just being weak. Um, um, why can't you be like your sister? Uh, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. So what it does is shames who we are. But the other side, which I know mummies cringe when I say that, is when you roll your eyes because you're exasperated because that's the 15th time you've asked him <laughs> to do that and he's not listening to you. Um, you know, we tell exasperation, but to a boy it's it's almost like a stab in the heart because he's gone, oh, no, again, I've made my mummy sad. It's the, mm. it's those sort of gestures every now and then that, that they pick up incredibly strongly and they often use it to think you've stopped loving me. So there's a double whammy in that. And <clears throat> as you know, I share the story of that beautiful boy that whose mum froze him out and freezing out is shaming. You freeze out your little boy. He thinks you've stopped loving him. And I had a 14-year-old boy that did nearly complete a suicide because his mum froze him out after his report wasn't very good instead of sitting down and talking to him about her, you know, her feelings. And he said, I didn't want to live if my had stopped loving me. And it was where I realised just how sensitive they are around the things that us... We all do. And, and you know, a number of times I've worked with a boy who almost completed a suicide with the most loving mum you could ever meet, but it was a toxic female teacher uh-huh. who over a 12-month period had done all this shaming damage and called him stupid and put him outside and made him stand in the corner, um, made people laugh at him. Uh, that that wound was incredibly deep. So, again, it's, it's that's why I called the book Mothering Our Boys because all of us, can influence each other's um, sons and that I know there's so many beautiful boys that over the years have come back as grown men to tell me that it was my kind of loving support that made them see things differently that made them realize they weren't an idiot to make them realize that even though their mum was unwell she still loved them and so it was like whoa we've got such potential our sisterhood has such potential to help little boys who are having those, um, shall we say, toxic or negative experiences with significant females in their lives. So, again, um, you know, we do know that shaming comes up a lot around depression as well. So I've found that, you know, 
in a way, you know, getting a smack on the bottom, you know, um, is almost not not as damaging, even though we know that it's not, it's not anything that's going to give you a valuable response. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's the shaming that's, that, that damages something primary and deep inside us, which is our sense of self. And that's why I think um, if we're not heard, we're not understood or we're not accepted or respected is a big one that comes up with boys and men can you respect that I'm different to you mum can you respect that this is how I see the world and you see it this way that's all I'm asking you don't have to agree with me but can you respect that I do see it a little bit differently and that's they're, they're the huge big ones that I just know there'll be so many great conversations with um, women around um, coffee tables and book clubs and things that actually will really make a profound shift in our awareness of unplugging the unhelpful things and let's dive in and be the beautiful passionate women that can support little boys to grow up to be good men yeah so um it kind of begs the question then when they haven't listened to you for the 13th time what on earth does one do because <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're all terrified of shaming now so we've got that that's good okay, so what the number one thing is that one of the biggest differences is that men and uh, uh, tend to be biologically wired to be single focused. So they were given, you know, they had one task, kind of primary task as the um, protectors and defenders of our, you know, culture back in caveman days. So, you know, that's their first thing. Am I keeping everyone safe? You know, if that's not to do, I have to go and kill a deer for dinner and provide. And I, if not, I practice right? Very specific, one thing at a time. And us women, we can do so many more things, you know. We were biologically wired to look after the young and the elderly and the sick and watch out for the weather and the snakes and the berries and prepare something for dinner as well as look at who's going to go into birth and the breeding lines. And we were doing all that. So what happens is a boy is a single focus. So if he is, can't hear, he's not hearing and responding to you, he actually doesn't necessarily know you're talking to him. Um, <laughs> so so are all the Beyblade tournaments that he's running in his bedroom, is he practising his hunting? Is that what's going That's on exactly there? exactly what they're now oh. doing. Can you see why it's such a hugely yeah. important part of boys' worlds is they used to do that with real men in the real world, even as little boys that were practising, and that was superhero play, using their bodies and, and using their highly visual skills. And, of course, they are using things mm not quite like this, but they're actually doing it in a virtual world. And no wonder it gives them the same sort of sense of achievement and, you know, that external sense of self-worth. But at the same time, um, they're having fun. So if we want to go in and, and get them to get ready for dinner or going through their teeth or something like that, we actually have to go in and possibly rub their back and connect in a way that they go, oh, oh, because I need to step in and make sure while he's in that world, he knows that I am there. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to give him a one request, any more than one. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That goes straight through to the keeper. Yeah. And it needs to give him a bit of time <laughs> to adjust from what he's doing so that he has still got what we call autonomy. So you can say dinner's in five minutes. I'll, I'll you know, come back you know, in a minute to give him another warning. You're giving him a chance to succeed. And I think that's one of the things that, because um, we can yell orders from the kitchen to everyone in the whole house, expecting everyone to jump to attention because we're yes. multitasking. Yes, uh, yes. And I sometimes, 
you know, I say very much about sometimes our men can forget bin night and us women go, how can you forget bin night? Like, it's what's the, the thing? <laughs> the same night every week. But he has got a single focus going on, something at work, you know, uh, doing his footy tipping. Uh, he's on his phone. Very, which, you know, it is a very interesting difference in us because we can do that and still hear what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And and so um, so is it about then kind of crouching down and making the eye contact and making sure that they've heard us, that that thing needs to happen? Is it giving like little time yeah. warnings? Yeah, little time warnings, transition warnings. And also I know you really want to keep playing. It's really helpful to validate that why would I want to suddenly stop doing something I'm really excited about, even yeah. though eating is one of my other favourite things, um, is because this is just guess this is what's doing it for me right now and I think that's the other thing around um, they are biologically we all want to have fun we all want to make dopamine we all want to go yay this makes me feel good and I think that's the other reason why it frustrates us sometimes as mothers where our boys will suddenly do something with their bodies mm. in the hope it's going to make them feel good including jumping up and down on your couch or throwing cushions and targets and you'll go what are you doing and he's trying desperately he needs to move a lot to feel that dopamine rushing through his body. So again, you know, they don't go, hmm, like a girl would possibly think, possibly that might hurt me or possibly mummy won't be happy. Nah, it's just a do first, think later. Yeah. And so the intention underneath a lot of boys' behaviour is one of the biggest things that confuse mums because mm. we really think he's done that deliberately. He's not listening deliberately. He hasn't done his teeth deliberately and he's doing, no, he's not. He certainly hasn't. <laughs> he's literally just on another planet. Yeah, he's seriously on another planet. There's something else going on in there. And I guess it's the gentle reminders, you know, like, um, and I mean, how many of us have sent our sons into the bedroom to get the school shoes and they just, they just don't come back. <laughs> And we think it's just one task. Maggie says one task. I gave him one. But as he went in there, something else more exciting than school shoes popped into his vision oh. and the single focus took over. Oh, he's going to play with that for a while. And, and I think every everyone who mothers a boy is laughing as hard as I just did. <laughs> and the other part about oh. memory is the memory is really, really, really different. Yeah. Oh, goodness, and I'm... I think it's just one of the fr most frustrating things that I thought I've got, you know, my boys weren't the sharpest tools in the tool shed till kind of a lot later in their school and career, but they'd still forget just the just most basic stuff. And um, I just ran into a mum recently and she told me this beautiful story, which just absolutely gets this. She said, my eight-year-old's gone to get his um, get school dentist, you know, and I was feeling pretty chuffed because I've been on to my boys ever since I was little, clean your teeth twice a day. He goes into his bathroom every time, clean his teeth. And the dentist tried to tell me I've been a terrible mother because this boy obviously hasn't been cleaning his teeth. So uh, somewhere along the line, he just goes in and pretends or hangs around the bathroom and <laughs> he just, he actually's completely dropped the need to clean his teeth <laughs> and he has to have all these feelings and I thought oh my goodness I just get that because we had this conversation with I was together with a few of mine and my beautiful daughter-in-laws recently and one of my daughter-in-laws said yep number two son he yeah once a day he's only ever I said that's nonsense he always used to clean them twice somewhere in the journey through adolescence he's dropped one of his tooth cleaning oh moments. wow 
and he's a grown man who works in health. <laughs> and you see what we actually kind of need? Yeah. That what works well is when we have good women who help our good men because memory is our great thing. I mean, I jokingly say we remember things that didn't even happen, but that we don't. But um, So when we work together and we give them those loving reminders from a loving space, then they achieve better and they are actually less likely to muck up. Mm. So it, it's not, we, we just, just own it. We, we've got better memories. Let's help them remember the main things because they feel awful when they've left or forgotten to pick a child up or forgotten your you know, anniversary, which they, many of the men have told me how they remember it right through to lunchtime and then something happened big in the afternoon and then they forgot it in the afternoon and then they've come home and they adore their wife and they cannot believe they could have forgotten something so important. So can you see, we just need to have some compassion around. There the different are brains, basically. The way yeah. the brain remember things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the awesome things our boys and our men do because I definitely don't want this to have an undertone of, oh, poor men, bless them, they just can't really do anything because that's not at all the case. And to come back to this whole future is female being a detrimental idea, like we really want to make sure the future is about celebrating all the gifts we bring together. Oh, look, I think one of the most important things that boys bring into women's lives is joy. Mm. Joy, laughter, lightness. They soften us off. They lighten us off. They actually give us this pragmatism that we often struggle with. Like, um, I love it when my sons would say, Mum, why would I clean up where I'm having toast when I'm going to come out an hour later and have toast again? And I'll go, <laughs> you know, he's got a really good point there. So I think I think when we listen to, uh, and I and we stress, come on, let's be honest, we overthink, we overstress, we, and boys and often our good men um, are the ones who soften down our stress if we allow them. It says, come on, babe, just, just have a cup of tea and let's sit down for a while. Let's just stop stressing about that. And I think there's that balance again. They, they're much better at us, at, at helping us to keep our emotions into a healthy, normal place because we're really hard on ourselves, really hard. And I think there's another thing that, when I see really positive relationships between sons and mothers and, and you know, male partners and female partners is um, that capacity to love us even when we're really yuck. Because mm. men don't, you know, and I keep thinking that's one of the messages in the book, we think boys don't have feelings and we think men don't feel deeply. They feel really, really deeply. When they commit to a woman, they do it really deeply. And, you know, there's so many of them that tell me that they, they they don't care if we let our hair go grey. They don't care that we aren't who we look like on our wedding day. They've made a deep commitment. And I think that capacity to love us uh, ferociously when we can't love ourselves is something unique that um, good and healthy men can do and boys. Um, and my boys have said the same when one of them was getting married. I said to them, look, babe, just let them know um, I'm a size 16 and I will be on your wedding day. And he said, what's that, mum? So some women go and lose a lot of weight and get work done to look great. Well, your mum won't. And he, he looked at me and said, why would they do that? <laughs> because to him, they love us like this. Mm. And they really, really care about us. And one of the last messages in the book is your son is always going to worry about you. Mm. He worries deeply about his mum, even if he's not super close. He does worry about us, even when we're, you know, they've got their own lives. There's this part in there that always worries, is mum okay? I think that's 
that's something beautiful and tender that took me a long time to realise in the in the work that I did and also in my own family. Mm, beautiful. And I definitely feel it in my little man. I've got a very compassionate... Um, he's not a, a, t- a full lamb on your rooster to yep. lamb scale, but Beautiful. he's definitely quite close to, to being full lamb. And, and one other thing I think we really forget is the biological drive is that um, how quickly a man will put his life at risk. Yes. For his partner and children. There is, I have just witnessed that just, and not just that, it was, you know, having gone to the battlefields of France this year um, as my 100 years after my grandfather fought. And there were, you know, boys who lied about their age in order to go and fight to save and protect their own, um, you know, women folk and, and, and more vulnerable. Um, and that just, you know, at the end of the day, we keep forgetting there is this biological drive that says, I will protect and defend you. So you can see how, how it gets to be really awful mm-hmm. if they're unable to. Mm. at some point um, and that's kind of some of the unplugging of the issues why we need to become team players as parents now because us women um, can be feisty and strong and we could cover a man's back who's struggling with a mental illness or you know who's become redundant in his job he doesn't have to feel a failed man because this is a partnership yeah I, and we've shifted from needing it up here to here now we're here mm. um, and that we can step up and we can kill good deer yeah, but we can also protect you at times. You know, not always, but we can step up, and I think that's that need for us to shift that. You know, then that's why it's a huge gig because, you know, becoming that team player is 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 beautiful to observe because that means dads are now able to be the loving dad they were hoping for when they were boys, and they want the best for their family, and it's now not about what I think or what you think. It's about what we think and work together so what works us might not work for another family yeah and there is a real sense of being able to start to realize that we are now teams Teams. there's no head of the family we are teams and I think that I mean that's a little nugget there for us to stew on for a bit and um beautiful and realize the potential of to to really nail this whole equality thing Exactly mm. that, and doesn't it perfect? Yeah, because we're blending our our you know our strengths together. Yeah, there are some unique strengths that we have, but I think um, yeah, and, and I oh my goodness, there's just so much beautiful work that I keep running into, or there's you know guys that are doing that. You know, fortunately there are some um, who are decoding it for our men, and and I often run dads only seminars, and um, they tell me sometimes now they will meet for coffee, uh, and they actually talk about fathering and they talk about hey what do you do when this happens and you know one of the things that is a bit of a nugget for them at that particular seminar is telling them that if you have a toddler who doesn't do the day sleep who doesn't eat the meal that day and who's you know really you've had that day from from hell from a little e that you haven't failed because they take it quite personally that they haven't been able to remember that self-worth my worth comes from what I've done good but they forgot to factor in that toddlers are a little bit difficult and women don't take it quite so personally. So look, there's a palpable sigh of relief from the men who go, wow, that's so good to know it's developmentally normal Mm. to be oppositional. It's developmentally normal to throw tantrums and it's not a sign that I'm a lousy dad. And that's, can you see, once again, there's a sensitive side to them so that when we team play it and say, don't worry, babe, that happens to me too. But 
uh, it, it makes such a difference long term. Yeah, massive difference. Um, something that I, I've, you've kind of almost started talking about it a couple of times, I definitely want to hear more on it, is the limit to free exploration that boys yeah. have and this being such a fundamental, well, girls as well, to be fair, you know, like every yeah, child yeah. benefits from free exploration um, and a shift to experiencing life via a screen. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you think that's playing out, what the effects are. Um, yeah. So traditionally what we know is that boys always had much more freedom to roam um, and that area has you know, constricted. And I think that's that shift we need again is to let both of our children to roam. Um, and what, what tends to find is the freedom, um, the freedom to escape being contained and over-mothered is, is, is kind of a little bit like this one. Can I read the quote from the book? Because I wrote it oh, so much. Oh, go for it, yeah. And it's just, it says that what we just basically need for our boys is enough parental guidance to keep them alive versus enough freedom to allow them to seize authentic moments of joy and delight that makes them glad to be alive. Yeah, and so that's the wow. challenge in our world where we've made the world quite fearful and we're not allowing them to hang out once again, go exploring, come back home later. Um, we're, we're very frightened of those things, even though the world's statistically safer. So my challenge is that, that is exactly what we need to be doing. And uh, I'm loving um, some communities are now closing their streets, sometimes on Sundays, so that everybody can come out and play, which is oh, not wow. just... Oh, wow, how gorgeous. So the scooters and the skateboards and the tracks and bikes and everybody comes out, but also people come out with afternoon tea and they draw on the road. And what we're having is this freedom away from screens with people who they might not necessarily be seeing as much of because of the nature of our busy world. I really encourage families to just think, when on my holidays can we go somewhere incredibly free and random Yeah, for at least a week? Because the first two days they'll hate you because they haven't got Wi-Fi <laughs> and they can't do anything. But after they've gone from that, they do reconnect quite rapidly, both girls and boys, into this great space of what can we do. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for nature play and adventuresome play, bringing back into our schools uh, WA is doing that amazingly. We just need it all over Australia and around the world because that's exactly the sort of thing that helps build resilience and capacity and joy and, um, you know, that, that thing about me testing myself. We've all got that. Boys have it a little bit stronger than us and we really need to be conscious about where are we giving them those opportunities because technology is not going anywhere and, you know, like, you know, if we can prevent them becoming addicted and we prevent them seeing harmful things that distort their you know their understanding of sexuality or violence or everything else then you know gaming in itself is not necessarily going to be destructive but wouldn't it be better if that was in a real world context and that's what some of the um some of the boys are doing taking whatever their game Fortnite or something and they're actually creating it in a real context and so we do have a really really big challenge around that and i yeah, it, it's a conscious thing for all of our children to get the green screen balance, but also the risk and, and adversity, you know, in real life, because life turns up with it later. If you haven't experienced it in the real world, you're not going to manage it as well. Mm. So are you saying that the, the free play actually helps yeah. boys, well, kids even, <laughs> understand the boundaries of totally. uh, and, and make better choices yeah, in, so in one of the hot biggest, moments? Yeah, mm. biggest, biggest teacher for boys is natural consequences. Yeah. 
rather than us telling them. And so the third smack in the, the chin by the seesaw used to be a fabulous way to teach. <laughs> falling off tall monkey bars and falling out of trees and getting prickles and cuts is a way that they learn that that sometimes they make poor choices and they need to be mindful that they make a poor choice. Um, and instead of us just having to growl at them all the time, is like, oh, that really hurt. I'm not going to do that again, you know, that sometimes listening to us it would be helpful and beneficial. Um uh, and having a conversation later around, you know. So I think that's one of the challenges of parenting in general, that we, when children are hurt, um, we kind of see that as lousy parenting. There is an aspect, it's capacity building for children to be able to know they can take risks. And every now and then it might be just a bit further because there's something really special that happens when you take a risk and you nail it. Yeah. Yep. And that's about, you know, character building and all of those things, which I talk of a lot in my resilience work. And I'm worried that we've got many young boys who are going to come out of their bedrooms at some point without enough social and emotional skills, let alone psychological and physical strength, to be able to navigate a world where you still need those things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, actually got to, and to be in a relationship, you have to have those things. So mm. I have a concern around that, definitely. Yeah, I think for me the the concern kind of came onto my radar when I started seeing those soft corner bumper thingies you could put on all your furniture around the house when you had small people and I just I I, I don't know I'm French on my mum's side and so we're quite um like yep. you know suck it and see yep. live and learn pragmatic quite um you know strong yeah. boundaries oodles of love go for it get out there kind of culture and that's how I grew up and yep. actually it's how a lot of my Aussie mates grew up as well yep. so many yep. commonalities there but it feels like this generation of parents, the ex-gen and younger, yes. yeah. are terrified of pain in our children, are terrified of a little accident here and there. Um, you know, a lot of parents that do our Thrive e-course that you're one of the wonderful experts yep. for around food um, say, uh, like, so, you know, I want to get better safeware, I don't want uh, uh, plateware, I don't want to use plastic for them anymore because yep. I know about the hormone disruptors, but... Uh, and I so I say, you know, once you break a plate on a tile floor and everyone gets a massive shock twice, very surprisingly, that two-year-old's no longer going to be yep. throwing the plate on the floor. Yep. Things like that. It just feels like we're soft bumpering life. Yeah, yeah, that's the queen of common sense here. You could just channel me there. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, there were times that I I didn't know where my boys were after school because that whole bunch of them were on a bike going somewhere, you know. But when I look at their physical strength today and they, when they, you know, they are still really about staying fit and active and healthy, well, that's a huge part of staying well in life. And I'm, I'm really worried we're creating a generation of couch potatoes, uh, which you'll know when you link that also. Um, mm. And if we can just zip over into your your passion again is how sensitive our boys are around the need for high quality good quality food Mm. because they are wow they're wired to be energetic and busy but if they haven't got good quality food in their tank they run out of energy and that's an awful feeling but also they're not having the capacity to build their natural strengths you know you don't get those by sitting on sitting down and I think what we've also got to look at some of the we are now getting much more evidence to support um, how sensitive boys' um, bodies, digestive systems and guts are to, um, you know, the things that are in our world, which is, you know, right up your alley. But we, we really know that the neurochemistry now um, of 
the differences in genders. We really have to have those conversations. We have to look at how this modern world is contaminating our boys in a way that creates poor behaviour because they're responding to really awful feelings and, and negative neurochemicals in their brain. Mm. We have to really start addressing, heck, hang on a minute, I, maybe that behaviour's got nothing to do with the fact he's taking a fair while to understand how other people are feeling because he hasn't got his empathy genes on yet. Um, in actual fact, it's probably something that's that, that, that he's eating that hasn't got enough stabilising protein or there's too much rubbish and you know all those things. We're now recognising boys' behaviour has got a strong linkage to what they're eating. Mm, massive. And yeah. um, in the teenage years when the rains come off and they're more at the canteen and they want to fit in with their mates and have the Pepsi and the, the yeah. Pizza Hut and, and things like, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on the bookends of the day being the most important places we can still provide really great nourishment and then, so, you know, it will be what yep. it will be in the teenage years yep. as they go off exploring. But is there, are there some sort of techniques, some verbal kind of, some chats we can have with them that you find really effective that get the message through on making better choices and linking that to how they feel in their body and their performance? Uh, no, I think really it's it's making sure that those bookends, as you say, which is exactly what we can contribute to, are as enjoyable and pleasant as possible in terms of human connection. Mm. Um, that's where I find if if you've got <clears throat> fabulous food memories, you actually cook great quality food um, and you share it together. That's um, key, isn't it? Because so many boys open up at the table. Absolutely. Not just yeah. that, it's their safe base. Yes. You're not yeah. going to be interrogating them about what they've done, <laughs> where they've phone or how much hours. I've tried that. doesn't work. Yeah. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> and um, it's, it's that... Food, um, gathering around food is is a human ritual that in, and supports us feeling we belong mm. and we have a place and that we are cared for. And also having them involved in and around food um, is so funny because, you know, the boys come home, you know, from uni or whatever and, and they absolutely want to have all their main meals from their childhood. That's almost like a list on the fridge. Um, and as, you know, I've evolved, of course, I, you know, I do everything from scratch. I'm a farmer's daughter. I don't buy anything that's pre-baked. And it's quite funny, you know, that, you know, they're, they're, they're very much like that. In actual fact, when they were, for, when they first moved to Sydney, two of my boys would almost go to a supermarket on their way home from work to get something fresh. Because oh, I wow. Because you raised stuff. them that way. Did yeah. you raise them learning how to cook? Were they with you in the kitchen? Yeah. Yeah, they were around the kitchen. Two of them are a little bit resistant, um, but they've got there in the end because, of course, they had to learn how to cook to be able to um, convince uh, the, the lovely woman that they wanted to marry <laughs> nice. that they weren't useless. Um, no, they were all they were always around preparing food, um, and it was really funny that one of their favourite things, you know, when they're home is make your own, um, you know, sandwich or roll or wrap because um, well, I just made a whole plate full of, grated you know stuff and all of everything possible you can make your own choose your and own that, adventure absolutely yeah. and I can see that now um now that the grandchildren are doing the same thing Aww. I want this so I look at it and think see the autonomy that's in that instead yes. of me and handing it to you yeah um you put in what you like and we did the same you know whereas one night a week when they were teenagers you, we could get takeaway and it was quite funny because um uh, one night i I'd gone and got lots of pita breads and you could make your own pizzas. Well, I had so much fun doing that. They never wanted the takeaway night again. And so that's another family tradition that's kind of come out of 
um, you know, the autonomous celebration of food and, and, and oh, mum, have you got the feta cheese? You forgot feta cheese. I really like feta instead of... And I looked at it and there's this noisy kitchen of food getting passed around. No, that's mine. Don't eat mine. And <laughs> that's kind of the chaos that kind of boys love animated and, you know, high quality stuff. So the, uh, lecturing them and uh, talking to them, I found only goes so far as modelling and doing and being. Um, and, and that really, I think, is common sense, queen of common sense is um, the more engaged they are around growing and eating, preparing food, the better they'll be eventually. Mm, brilliant. And food gives you such a sense of purpose, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, powerful thing that I think we vastly underestimate in today's culture, um, how I much have, it can have, work to bring yeah. us together, to make us thrive, to, all the good things. You have to laugh a little bit because um, obviously I did home-baked biscuits and home-baked cake, which, of course, had less sugar than anything else and also, you know, different flours and organic butter and real good eggs and um, doing the right thing. But it took me years to realise that uh, from about year five onwards they were selling them oh. <laughs> or swapping them for um, biscuits, which I thought, isn't that lovely? <laughs> Very entrepreneurial, Maggie. Oh, there's always a positive. <laughs> oh, gosh. Do you know, hilariously, I remember um, my my mum was uh, a fabulous cook at home but was also very inspired by that movement of the processed food magic of the yes. 80s, as, as so many of us were before we understood what was in there. And so I was the kid who always had the newest, most exciting snack in my lunchbox, whether it was roll-ups or, you know, whatever it was back then. And um, and so I would swap with the kids who got the homemade stuff because <laughs> I would crave it. And um, and so, yeah, so this is happening through, yes! through yeah. time, across decades, and it doesn't and seem And I think to... one of the other pressures really, um, you know, with, with, with women working much more hours and things was, um, it wasn't every day. It was meant we would do a cook-up on the weekend and our kids were there, yeah. you know. It was – we know that we can't do the same sorts of things, but it was that that ritual of I'm going to do a few meals on the weekend. Can you guys help out? And, you know, baking things where they still lick the bowl. And, um, you know, I think those sorts of things, again, you cannot underestimate the value of that sense of a, of a boy feeling he belongs and that feels like a, a, a safe blanket in a world that's full of – all sorts of other messages that I think um, we can't control all of those, but what we can control is how safe and connected and loved they feel. And sometimes that gesture of cooking their favourite, um, I always cook their favourite meals when exams were on. Mm, beautiful I also, idea. I also yeah. cooked things that took a long time to cook, like slow cookers and roasts, because the smell of food as they came in also had a wonderful influence because of the endorphin pathways from their childhood. Um, and, you know, like a long lingering curry was enough to kind of keep them animated getting homework done before dinner. So I did manipulate with love. <laughs> Sounds very smart. <laughs> very smart indeed. Um, something that I want to talk about just before we wrap up, because this is a concern that a lot of people have, is they kind of know that boys more so than girls tend to not be able to sit still. 
Um, many of them, I have one of those who just drifts off as soon as, um, you know, and, and starts to want to, he just wants to bust out into musical theatre at every possible opportunity. And so sitting still and working out on his maths, even though he's incredibly bright, is just not something he loves to do. And I feel like sometimes the modern classroom just isn't really geared to all these kids who fidget and move. I don't think there's necessarily something wrong with all of them. Um, So how do we as parents in this current education system um, make space for our children to not feel silly? How do we have the conversation with the teacher to make sure they're not shaming them around that that inability to sit still? I I feel like it's a big issue. Yeah, it's a very big issue. And our our sense of um, pushing movement out of our classrooms Mm. has been going on for quite some time. Now, I was a high school teacher and um, I, I recognised particularly, especially 14-year-olds, oh, my gosh, that's an interesting year, um, because that need to move has come back again really strong like it is around four, five and six. Uh-huh. And I look up some days in my classroom and there's just a boy sort of walking around. I'm going, what are you doing, mate? And he's going, I don't know, <laughs> having a walk. And so I realised that, um, you know, there was a number of them. And then I'm a bit like a boy. I also get restless too. So I introduce brain breaks, which happen every 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, we, we've got the evidence of why those small, small movements recharge up the dopamine. So what's happening is they've run out of dopamine. And that's the fidgety boy on the mat. All of a sudden, he's kicking his legs out and he's wiggling around. is because he's run out of that one that lets him stay paying attention. And what he's doing is actually trying to make it because he actually wants to finish the story and he actually really likes his teacher but what we can perceive through the lens of you know not understanding that is that that's a boy who's now being disrespectful and naughty um it's a huge job and i mean you know that's one of the areas that we're working on is running those sorts of professional learning opportunities to recognize that um the kinesthetic learner often does have to move i do a few things with that i get them to tap quietly with their feet on the floor Mm-hmm. in their chair um, and if they can also just do up and down with their heels that can also work tapping inside their hands can often get the dopamine flowing again uh, rocking on the chair <coughs> which of course can irritate a teacher but if I need them to have the conversation that I'm trying to teach my son some strategies um, so that he can make his own dopamine without being disruptive, I would really appreciate some support. Yeah. Because okay. remember, um, that curriculum is massive now. Mm. The pressure, oh, on, the pressure on teachers is crazy these days. Um, and the other part is to encourage and enthuse as much energetic play at recess and lunch mm. because that's what the um, adventuresome play does. They come in, they're absolutely chock-a-block of dopamine, which can last nearly till lunchtime. Yeah. So we have to have that conversation. That's why I also make parents question, can you walk and ride them to school? Mm. Um, because that 20 minutes of heart and heart rate actually sets them up for the whole day, not just the first session of learning. We've got to look at how we can get all of our children more active, but particularly our boys, because that's what they're hungering for in order to be able to concentrate uh, in classrooms. And so you can imagine for the children particularly the boys who are not academically blessed at that early point in life, turning up to something I can't do and then making myself sit 
when I actually want to move, no wonder we've got disruptive students in our classrooms at times. Mm, so interesting. And then so can we use that sort of technique through into homework if they're preparing yeah. a speech or, you know, doing yeah. those little things every 15, 20 minutes yeah. to really encourage them instead of trying to make them push on. Yeah. Say, why don't you stand Absolutely. up and do some jump, uh, jumping jacks yeah. or something, sweetie? Let's do it them together. around the house, a tickle attack, uh, go and chase the dog, throw some balls break it up break it up because they just cannot a lot of boys cannot sustain very long periods of time um absolutely i was mad basketballer so my boys would have to go out and shoot hoops with me um and it was interesting how that was also a chance for us to chat yeah but it also refreshed them they're outside and they've done it and then we all go back inside again and um, but it was highly competitive because I'm real. I'm still not too shabby at shooting hoops. So I could say the same for my tennis game. game. <laughs> my son and I played mother and son tennis on the weekend for a, a charity match for our local club. And, um, yep, he was uh, one other little dude actually on the other court said, oh, to the dude who was playing against us, you're playing against one of the mums. You'll be great. I was like, Really? <laughs> Well, didn't I show him my left-handed spin serve? And uh, <laughs> and it was on. Respect, Alex. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the little boy that was against us came up to me at the end and I said, oh, you're a really good tennis player, dude. You know, keep going. You're great. And he goes, you know what? You are too. <laughs> oh, like, nice. Oh, thanks. With, with shock on his face. A little are. bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, too funny. Um, okay, so, I mean, we've talked about a lot of things there. Um, I feel like there are many more things I'd love to talk to you about and we could go for two hours, but I will encourage everybody who is playing a role model as a woman in a boy's life to grab your book because I think it is extraordinary. Um, and uh, often when I am having a bit of a parenting challenge and I have a very beautiful, very easy, gorgeous child, but, you know, we all come up against challenges. And um, and I honestly sometimes go to YouTube and I think, what would Maggie do? And there you are with a video that addresses that exact concern. So please make the most of Maggie's incredible resources. You're so generous. Um, with what you provide freely available to us all. Mm. Um, it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. I wanted something to be accessible at 2 o'clock in the morning yeah. when mums get up going, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Um, so yeah. I guess if you could share a couple of final things uh, for all mother figures in all boys' lives to help us feel empowered to really step into being the best mother figures we could be, what do you see as being a couple of the most important, whether you've mentioned already or not? Okay, the very first one is you need to be able to uh, demonstrate unconditional, fierce love. Mm -hmm. And that means that no matter how many poor choices I make, no matter what happens at times uh, that you scratch your head at, no matter how many times they come home and, and something is tearing them apart, that we love them unconditionally and fiercely because what so often comes up later is a boy who has decided that um, he's just failed again, he's 16 and it's too hard to stay. And what they dread is a look of disappointment that they've seen on our faces before. So we need to be able to master things that go, oh, babe, that sucks. 
yay, what are you going to do? You know, like we really have to get into the rhythm that they will make poor choices and that they're not bad, they're not stupid. They are learning to gradually make better choices and their prefrontal doesn't finish till a lot later than girls. And the second thing is a little mantra I think that mums need to know is that we want you to be fun, firm and fair. Actual fact, boys love structure. They love you. Keep on saying that's not okay. They need us to do a whole lifetime of that before they get it. <laughs> they actually need the fun uh, and the firm and the fair. We need to let them know that this is what's fair. This is fair um, between genders. This is fair between temperaments. This is fair as decent human beings. And what I'm wanting to do is raise you to be a decent human being and um, that keep that message happening. Mm. You know, every now and then go, oh. So is that making you feel good? Because what we know is that boys beat themselves up terribly um, and often don't need us to come on top of it and make it worse is that sometimes we need to say, wow, I bet you that feels awful. Mm. Yeah, you know, and how can we do that better? How can I support you? Again, it's it's not Einstein stuff, Alex, mm. but I just feel that um, if we can just shift it and tweak it that, in actual fact, our boys are way more sensitive and vulnerable than we give them credit for um, and that, you know, they may have the physical strength but they don't have the other parts that us females tend to have in bucket loads. And so, yeah, I think that is it, just fierce, unconditional love. Oh, what a beautiful way to finish and to meditate that point as, as mothers of our boys. I love being a mother of a boy. Um, I was a one-hit wonder, but you um, <laughs> you managed to go four <laughs> rounds. And I just think it, we play such an incredibly powerful role for them and, um, and to have you here to chat to today and kind of help us see their differences and that not being a bad thing and helping them kind of step into their own power um, is just, just such an important thing that we, we can all do and we all yep. do do daily and we've just got to do it more. So um, thanks, Maggie, and uh, I'll share everything on the show notes, guys, for um, for the resources, for the book link, um, and and other resources that Maggie has, and uh, and we'll speak soon. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.